0: that you would open up our heart and make us willing to receive make us willing to just take god that word that you've given us and not to be hearers only but doers also lord to allow it to find that fruitful soil lord that it would grow in our lives and that it would overpower and overcome all the little things in our life that are going on god and when we face the storms and the big struggles and maybe even captivity God that you would just give us eyes to see no matter how it looks it is good God we ask that you would move in this place by the power of your spirit and be glorified here in Jesus name we pray amen you can be seated I see how you are. <laughs> Jeremiah. Well, last time, last time as we were studying the Scripture, we, we talked about it, and we talked a little bit about it this morning, and that being that a lot of people, for a lot of people, Jeremiah 29, 11 is a, a life verse, you know, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of good and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. <clears throat> and as we, sa- as we saw last week, it's even more important, I think, because of when it was given and how it was given. It's given to the nation of uh, Israel as they're going into captivity, as they're enchained, as they're enslaved, as they've lost all their homes, as they've lost everything they ever had. They didn't get to take all that stuff. Everything's gone. And as they're walking away, God is saying to them through the prophet Jeremiah, This is good. You can't tell yet, but it's good. And as we looked at it, we saw that God's plans are known. He says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you. We know that God's plans are promising because over and over again we have promises, in God's word that we can cling to, that we can hold on to. We know that God's plans are good. And ultimately, we know that the purpose of God's plans is to bring us into a relationship with Him. That that's the most important thing. That that's the goal as, as the Lord moves and works in people's lives. That He would bring that relationship. But as we look tonight, we also want to know that God has plans for those who don't believe too. In fact, in, in verse 15 is where we're going to pick up tonight. He goes on with his plans for those who don't believe or who don't receive. He says, Because you have said the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, therefore thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David, concerning all the people who dwell in the city, and concerning your brethren who have not gone out with you in the captivity. (coughs) So this message is to the ones that people would have thought were the lucky ones. They're the ones who didn't get chained up, who didn't lose everything, who maintained or kept their houses, who kept their families around them, who were still in Jerusalem. And a lot of people would look and say, those are the ones that God loves. And the ones that God's judging are the ones in chains going to Babylon. But that would be backwards. The ones God loves are the ones in chains. Because whom the Father loves, He chastens. And so, <clears throat> God is going to, through this captivity, work a perfect work out in the nation. And we'll see that as we continue through these next three chapters. It's all about the work that God is accomplishing in their life. But the ones who are left behind, they're not okay. The ones who are left behind who are saying, Oh, I've got all these other prophets that we can listen to. And other people are giving us better word than Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Jeremiah was giving them the truth. Jeremiah was sharing with them the reality. But they have piled up for them teachers because they have itching ears. They want to hear what they want to hear. Thus says the Lord of hosts in verse 17. Behold, I will send on them the sword, the famine, and the pestilence, and will make them like rotten figs that cannot be eaten there so bad. You remember the Lord telling us the parable of the figs? The good figs and the bad figs? Well, he brings that back around to light in chapter 29. These are the unbelieving. These are the ones who would not hear what Jeremiah said. Who would not allow themselves to be taken into captivity. Who would continue to fight and fight and fight. And who they're fighting against is the Lord. And a work that God's trying to do in the people's lives. So he said, I will pursue them with the sword and with famine and with pestilence. And I will deliver them to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse, an astonishment, a hissing, and a, repro- a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them. Because they have not heeded my word, says the Lord, which I sent to them by my servants the prophets, rising up early and sending them, neither would you heed, says the Lord. So the Lord speaking to the unbeliever, and it's very similar to the message that God has for a Christ-rejecting world in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, over and over again, the Lord says that he's not sending the, the calamities that we read about in the book of Revelation or this famine, pestilence, and the sword upon these people because he seeks their destruction. Somewhere among all that chaos, the prayer is that they will call out to him. But sometimes people are so obstinate we find in the book of Revelation chapter 6 that the people would pray to the rocks and say, fall on me. Kill me. Destroy me. And hide me from the wrath of the Lamb. But they won't turn to Jesus. They'll turn to the rocks. They'll turn to something else, but they won't turn to Him. And So the Lord says, this is my plan for the unbelieving. Destruction destruction there's no hope (coughs) there's no hope at all for them scripture goes on and he says now in verse 20 now therefore hear the word of the lord all you in the captivity whom what's he say i have sent from jerusalem to babylon whom i have sent a strong declaration of god's sovereignty for every one of us there have been times in our life where we look at a situation we look at a struggle we look at some heartache and we say how can this be from the hands of god well i'll give you a quick lesson in theology if god is sovereign everything is from his hands if god is not sovereign he is not god so you cannot separate the two you cannot say when that tidal wave hit in in Thailand, and a then 100,000 or better people were killed. You cannot say, God had nothing to do with that. Because God is sovereign. But he also tells us, my ways are not your ways. That God has a purpose. We talked about that, right? His plan. He knows his plan. His plan is promising. His plan is good. And his plan is to bring people into a relationship with him. Not to make them comfortable, not to make sure they have enough food, not to make sure that nowhere in life do they suffer. It's to bring them to a relationship with Him. And He will do everything He can toward that purpose. So much so that when we look and we study the life of Jesus, He goes out of His way in His only three years of ministry on earth. If God only had three years of ministry to spend, who would He talk to? We think he'd go to the presidents. We think he'd go to the kings. We think he'd go to all the important people. That's not what he did. He went, to, he went to Samaria to talk to a woman who was an outcast and nobody cared about standing by a well. He went to go talk to Zacchaeus, a little thief and a tax collector in Jericho. He had three years. He could have he talked to whoever he wanted to, but that's who he was going for. That's the people he's reaching out to because he only cares about one thing, and that is those who will receive and have a relationship with him. The message goes to everyone. But not everyone will answer, right? Whosoever will can come. And the Lord gave that same message to the Pharisees. Well, what do they do? They reject him, turn their back on him, go the other way. So we see that God, as he's laying out for this, for the nation, he says, here's the plan I have for you. But I want you to know I also got a plan for them. And then he says to the ones who are in captivity. I put you there. I took away everything you ever had. I'm the reason you lost it all. Sometimes we need to lose it all to get everything. Because all that stuff don't matter. All the... Crops in the world won't save our soul. All the money in the world, all the success, all the fame, it's not going to help us. Him. That relationship's the most vital part. And God's people were running down a road that was taking them in rebellion against Him. So, He put them in Babylon. He took away everything they had. It wasn't judgment for their sins. The, listen, you want to know if something's judgment for sins, I'll make it real simple for you. The wages of sin is what? Death. 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 Jesus Christ paid what on the cross? Death. He paid the wages of sin. Death. Price is paid. The debt is no longer owed. By faith we receive that relationship with God. But God will bring things into our life to straighten us out, to get us back on track. If he's got to take everything away from you in order for you to save, to save your soul, he'll do it. Even if that means your children. Even if that means your livelihood, your wife, whatever it takes. Those are hard things, but God is sovereign and his plan is good. Not easy. Good. I sent you to Babylon. I did this. I am the sovereign God. And just like the song we were singing just at the end. And he's still holy. He's right. Just just and true are your judgments, O Lord. He's, He's righteous. He knows what he's doing, and we can trust him. And that's his message to them. He says, Listen, I'm sending you to Babylon in verse twenty-one. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab the son of Koliah, and Zedekiah the son of Maasiah, who prophesy a lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them to the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will slay them before your eyes. God sends his people to Babylon and then through the prophet Jeremiah he calls two guys out by name and he says these two guys are presuming to speak for me but I never told them any of these things and I'm going to turn them over to Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar who God has said earlier is his servant Nebuchadnezzar who slaughtered hundreds of maybe thousands however many were there in, uh, in Jerusalem at the time, he goes through and, and wipes out all these people, the same Nebuchadnezzar that threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. God's using him as his servant. Just like God uses people in our life today, from our president to a judge to a police officer that pulls us over, doesn't make any difference. (laughs) He uses all those things. He uses all those things to get us and to keep us on track. And listen, God cares about people who presume to speak in his name and are liars. So anytime I feel like God's given me a word for somebody, man, I go into that slow and easy. Before I say, thus saith the Lord... You better know, thus saith the Lord. God doesn't want people to presume to speak for him. He gave us his word for that. You know that? He gave us his word. Every word of prophecy anybody ever spoke in my life, I could find confirmation in God's word. Because it's alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. It's here to speak to me today. (coughs) To do what God said it would do. So he's bringing judgment to these guys. Why to these guys? Because they're impatient. These two guys were saying, we don't have to wait 70 years. Now, last week we we studied, we saw that God said, you're going to be in Babylon 70 years. But these two guys are saying, nah, it's not going to be 70 years. God's going to bring back the king. We're going to have the land back. God's going to do all these things. And God's tired of them getting in the way. So he's going to remove them from the equation. Here's the main problem. They were, or they had an inability to walk by faith. Because they saw that 70 years and said, this can't be the hand of God. Now, to you and me, maybe that seems like a little thing. But there's there's similar circumstances in every one of our lives. You you fill in the blank on the situation, but this can't be the hand of God. And so they wanted to walk by sight and not by faith. And it led them down a path of <clears throat> ultimate destruction because they were rebelling not against Nebuchadnezzar. They are rebelling against God. But this is God's purpose and part of God's plan. And he wants us to except to receive that which he has. He says in verse 22, Because of them, a curse will be taken up by all the captivity of Judah, who are in Babylon, saying, (coughs) The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. Sound familiar? There's a couple other guys he tried to do that to, right? What I see in this is this concept that the Lord knows how to deliver the righteous out of the hand of the wicked. If he doesn't deliver you, then it was your purpose to go through that. To be there. I think of Polycarp, who is this 95-year-old man who was a disciple of John. John the Beloved. Polycarp. Church history tells us wouldn't take a pinch of incense to Caesar and, and declare Caesar as Lord. He said, I only have one Lord, and Caesar's not it. So they put him on the stake, and they tell him, they say, Polycarp, come on, nobody wants to kill you today. Just take the pinch of incense. And Polycarp says, my whole life long, I have served my Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, and he has always done right by me. How can I deny him now? He's a great man. He was the bishop of Smyrna. You recognize that name, Smyrna? It's the name of a church in the seven letters of the seven churches. It's actually in Turkey. Smyrna means crushing. In Revelation, it's the letter to the persecuted church. And to that letter, to that church, Jesus writes, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He doesn't say, I'll save you. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. And of the seven churches, until recently, Smyrna still existed. Until the Turkish government, which is Muslim, by the way, went in and slaughtered them and changed the name of the town. So you can't find Smyrna now. They changed that name and made it something else altogether. Try to erase that whole memory. Sometimes God doesn't deliver us. Sometimes God doesn't swoop in and rescue us. Sometimes God doesn't touch us and heal us. When we read the stories of Jesus, we know that he walked through the gate beautiful every time he was in Jerusalem. Every single time he was in Jerusalem, he walked by the gate beautiful. And there at the gate, beautiful, was a lame man who, every time Jesus came by, reached out longingly, Lord, touch me. You're, if you're willing, you could heal me. And Jesus walked right by him. Every single time. Until Jesus was ascended. <clears throat> and we have Peter and John walking through the gate, beautiful. And they walk up to the same man. And they say, Silver and gold have I none. But that which I have, I give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And he went walking and leaping and praising God. God doesn't always move in our timing, He doesn't always move in our way, and He doesn't always deliver. But His plan is always good, it's always right. These guys, they're going to get roasted. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going to get delivered. Same king, same fire. One group, servants of God, fully, totally committed to him. The other, disobedient to the Lord. Disobedient to what God has. But that doesn't always mean that we won't go through difficulty. It's interesting because this punishment, according to the Hammurabi code, is the punishment for treason. Treason against God. because they have done disgraceful things in Israel. They committed adultery with their neighbor's wives and have spoken lying words in my name, which I have not commanded them. Indeed, I know and am a witness, says the Lord. So the Lord brings that judgment against these two guys. Now in verse 24, he's got somebody else he needs to talk about. You will also speak to Shemaiah the Nehemelite, saying... Thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel. You have sent letters in your name to all the people who are at Jerusalem, to Zephaniah the son of Maaseiah the priest, and to all the priests, saying, The Lord has made you priest instead of Jehoiada the priest, so that there should be officers in the house of the Lord over every man who is demented and considers himself a prophet. That you should put him in prison and in the stocks. Now, therefore, why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anathoth, who makes himself a prophet to you? For he sent us, he sent to us in Babylon, saying, This captivity is long. Build houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat their fruit. This guy <coughs> who went into captivity wrote a letter about what a knucklehead Jeremiah is, who wrote down this letter that God gave him to tell the people, build and plant and live your lives and raise your family because you're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. But God at the same time said, I'm not leaving you here forever. It's not going to be forever. Just trust in me. And this guy writes a letter to the priest back in Jerusalem. And he says, "Uh, God replaced you. He replaced the old priest with you so you could get Jeremiah and put him in the stocks. And why haven't you done it yet? It was just like we were talking about today. People always have an easy time pointing at other people and finding out what's wrong with them. Uh, Jeremiah, what a knucklehead. That guy always has negative things to say. Always the same thing, same thing, same thing. Just one problem. He did happen to be speaking for Almighty God. That was the message that God had. So this guy writes these letters. Scripture says in verse 29, Now Zephaniah the priest read this letter in the hearing of Jeremiah the prophet. <clears throat> this priest was like, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. Jeremiah, look what this guy wrote. And then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Send to all those in captivity, saying, Thus says the Lord concerning Shemaiah the Nehemiahite, Because Shemaiah has prophesied to you And I have not sent him. And he has caused you to trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will punish Shemaiah the Nehemiah and his family. He shall not have anyone to dwell among his people, nor shall he see the good that I will do for my people, says the Lord, because he has taught rebellion against the Lord. The book of Proverbs says... Six things God hates, yea, seven are an abomination. And one of those things is a man who sows discord among the brethren. And all the time I have people come to me (coughs) and they always say, the conversation often starts like this. Well, I know that the Bible says not to sow discord among the brethren. The next word is going to be but, which erases everything you said before it. Yeah, obviously you don't know that because you're not doing it. But here's my problem with so and so and such and such and this and that and I don't know why these are that and th- you know what the Bible tells us how to deal with that? The Bible tells in Matthew chapter 18 exactly how to deal with struggles or difficulties we have with one another. If we see something we don't like that someone is doing, the Bible says go face your brother or your sister And talk to them about it. And if your brother or sister won't receive you, then you bring two or three witnesses. Now listen, be careful. Two or three witnesses doesn't mean two or three people who agree with you. It means two or three people who have witnessed the same thing. The reason the Bible says that is because the problem may be you. And you've got this problem with this person. And you go talk to them and they don't receive it then you're supposed to find two or three people who have seen the same thing not to go say hey you know i saw this and i think it's wrong what do you think that's not a witness two or three witnesses the bible says by the word of two or three witnesses a thing will be confirmed so you bring two or three witnesses and you come to that brother in love and you say man we we've all seen this occur." and you're the point is you're not going to to rebuke <laughs> or you are going to rebuke but you're not going to bring some kind of judgment, like punishment, that's God's job. You're coming, you're coming to bring an opportunity for a brother to repent and be restored. That's the whole concept. To restore, to fix, to solve the problem. We come with two or three and it still doesn't work. Then it says you bring that brother before the elders. With two or three witnesses and, and you talk about the issue and it becomes a, a matter of church discipline at that point. And then it says if he still don't listen, don't treat him like a brother. Treat him like an unbeliever. Well, that means, of course, you take him outside and flog him, right? Sounds good to me. <laughs> when we treat someone like an unbeliever, that means they find themselves in a position now where rather than assuming they understand what God wants because they're a believer, now I'm going to assume they're lost and they need salvation and if they have salvation they'll understand that's the way we're supposed to deal with things we're not supposed to get together a a congregation of people a group of people and say you know what we decided that we don't like x we don't like this thing in the church and so we've gathered together all these and here we wanna that's how you sow discord among brethren. That's how churches split. That's how the body of Christ bleeds. Matthew 18 says how to do it. And every time I have a meeting with those kind of groups, it always starts the same way. I know the Bible says, but oh, if you know the Bible says, why are you here? Go do what the Bible says. Work your way to this point because you're being obedient to what God's word says. This man thought, there's no way that this circumstance could be the hand of God. But what was it? It was the hand of God. And he said, there's no way Jeremiah can be right. So I'm going to write a letter to everybody I know about what a dirtbag Jeremiah is. But that's not God's way. God says of this guy, he says, you're never going to see the good. You can't see the good because you're unwilling to see the circumstances you're in as the hand of God in your life. And if you won't see that, you won't see the good. You won't. You won't ever be able to understand God's plan as good. And ultimately, the Lord says, this is the problem. You're in rebellion against me. You're sowing rebellion against the Lord. You're teaching people to go against what God's word says. And people in the church still do it, still live by that. They still gather their committees, they still do it. And if we think that we're going to be immune to that, we're crazy. I don't care what church. It's in them all. Unless the church isn't doing nothing and Satan don't care and then he'll leave you alone. We have to combat that with what? The Word of God. This is what the Word of God says. This is what the Word of God teaches us. This is how we deal with these things. God has a plan. It's good. And it's for us to have a relationship with him. Sometimes that means smooth sailing. Sometimes it means storms. Get used to them both. Learn to enjoy the moment, every single one of them. And I think you'll be satisfied. At the end, the scripture says, when you stand before God, you will not be ashamed. That word ashamed means disappointed. It means you're not going to stand before God and go, oh, man, I got so ripped off. So my life was all sideways, and I went through all that stuff for nothing. No, the Bible says you will not be Disappointed. Because God is doing a perfect work in each of us. He goes on now (coughs) in chapter 30. says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaks the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write in a book for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you. Guess what we're reading? We're reading the fact that Jeremiah was obedient to what God said. Write down all the things I told you to say. For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people, Israel and Judah. (laughs) That's an important verse to grab a hold of. Why? Because there are people out there who will teach you that there are 10 lost tribes. You remember when the two tribes, or when the, the tribes of Israel split into two? After Solomon, he has a kid that's a knucklehead, And the kingdom divides. You have Judah in the south, Israel in the north. Ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. The two tribes in the south are the ones that go into captivity to Babylon. The ten tribes to the north, about 150 years earlier, go into captivity with Assyria. And they will say, nobody ever heard from them again. Just one small problem with that. Assyria conquered the northern kingdom. Who conquered Assyria? Babylon. And what did Babylon do with who they conquered? Well, they took them all captive. They made them part of their society. They gave them a place to live and a place to plant and a place to raise a family. And who from Assyria would have gone into that captivity? Ten tribes of Israel. Israel who were already in captivity to Assyria. And here the Lord says, I will bring back out of captivity my people, Israel and Judah. So, for anyone who's confused, that means all 12 tribes. He brings them all back. He brings them all back. That's what God is laying out, this promise. Now, this is the first good news Jeremiah has been able to give people. Up until this time, it's been death and destruction and mayhem. But he says, listen, I want you to know, the Lord says, I will bring back from captivity my people, Israel and Judah. But not only that, he says, and I will cause them to return to the land I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. They're going to come back home. They're going to come out of captivity. Now these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. For thus says the Lord, We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor, and all faces turn pale? The Lord is saying, listen, they have pain." And they have the pain of childbirth. But the only thing that they deliver is misery. This is to help us realize the misery that was involved in captivity was not just a little thing. They got in line and went to a new place. It was traumatic. It was difficult. (laughs) But the Lord says in verse 7, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. And it is a time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. When we come to verse 7, we see in verse 7 a (coughs) prophetic glimpse into the time of Jacob's trouble. He compares this captivity with that time of Jacob's trouble, what we call the tribulation period, the final seven years, ultimately the last three and a half of that, the time of Jacob's trouble, the the harshest time ever. But what did the Lord say? He didn't. He's not telling them to say, well, life is going to be hard. Life is going to be tough. Blah, blah. What does he say? He says, you'll be saved out of it. I am going to take care of you. Even in the storm. Even though you feel all this pain in your gut, you're just holding on to your belly, and all you're going to give birth to is misery, and life is horrible, and life is terrible, and it's a time of Jacob's trouble, the Lord says. I will save you out of it. I like that. <laughs> I circle that and asterisk it. And anytime time I think, boy, things are just rotten. It can't possibly get any worse. I remember that God said, I'm going to save you out of it. one day, no matter how my life ends on this earth, I will finish my days face to face with the King of kings and Lord of lords. And on that day, I will not be ashamed. I will not be disappointed. I will not be sorrowful, for God keeps his promises. His plan is a promising plan. He shall be saved out of it. Look at verse 8. For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck and will burst your bonds and foreigners shall no more enslave them. So the Lord says, hey, the day is coming when I'm going to break the yoke off of, your, off of your neck. That reminds me of what we've been reading in Matthew chapter 11, doesn't it? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I will break that yoke off of your neck, that yoke of oppression, That yoke of the foreigners, that yoke of bondage. Bondage to what? Their bondage is ultimately to iniquity. Is that any different than our bondage today? (laughs) We find ourselves in bondage to iniquity. They're in bondage to sin. And so the Lord says, I'm going to break that from you. And they will serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Wow, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because in the Hebrew, the structure of this sentence puts serving God equal with serving David, their king. But David's dead. He's buried. Not alive anymore. God says, I will, and you will serve David, your king, the the king of David. You will serve David, your king, whom I will raise up. Who's he talking about? absolutely he's talking about Jesus that's why when you read Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1 how do they begin with the genealogy what's the genealogy show that Jesus is the son of David that makes him the king the rightful king to sit on the throne for God said I will always give provide a king for David To sit on his throne. There's not been a king in Israel for a long time. That's because the king came. And the people rejected him. But he is coming again. And he will set up his throne. And he will be served. The Lord God Almighty will be David their king. And when did he raise him up? When he died on the cross, and he rose from the dead, and I will raise him up. I will raise him up, the Messiah, King David. Therefore, do not fear, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord. Nor be dismayed, for behold, I will save you from afar. And there's several sections in Scripture here where the Lord talks about saving him. I got that stuff circled and someone might think i'm crossing out other verses i'm not crossing out other verses i'm just circling these ones i'm circling them because the lord says i will save you from afar i don't have to be standing next to you i don't have to be in the flesh in the same room with you just like the centurion when he came to jesus and said i got a child of a servant sick you just speak the word you don't have to come and the lord said i've not seen such faith in all of israel The Lord can say, his arm is not short. The scripture tells us he's mighty to save. Here he is. He's saying the very same thing. Hey, behold, I will save you. I will save you from afar. Don't despair. Don't panic. Don't lose heart. Don't think my life is over because everything's been taken away from me. God says, I will save you. I'll save you. What do you trust in if you don't trust in the Lord? I mean, I, don't, I have no idea. What do you trust if you don't trust in the Lord? If you can't hold on to the promise of God that says, this plan is good, then how do you justify the evil man does to men? What hope do you have to offer? What can you tell someone who's lost everything? What hope can you give? You can't give any. Because apart from Jesus Christ, there is no hope. None. The Lord says, I will save you. The salvation he's talking about is that ultimate salvation. It doesn't mean, Lord, I'm losing everything. Will you stop them from taking it all? And the Lord says, I will save you. No, he means... In the end, when it's all said and done, you're going to stand before me and you're going to say, I'm not disappointed. I'm not disappointed for everything I went through, for all the things that I suffered in my life, for all the stuff that looked like it wasn't fair. Because I'm going to trust God. I'm going to walk by faith and believe what he said. Otherwise, what do you got? What's the best you got? That life is just a, a set of random occurrences and, you know, he who dies with the most toys wins. Get yours. Whatever makes you happy. There's a whole book of the Bible devoted to that attitude. It's called the book of Judges. Didn't turn out so good for them. Nor will it for us. The Lord says, don't be dismayed. For behold, I will save you. And not only you and your seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and have rest and be quiet. And no one shall make him afraid. See, this is God's ultimate promise. Now, what you need to realize, what God's saying is, at the return of the king, I'm bringing you to the land, and you're never going to put on the yoke again, and you're never going to deal with the oppression again, because you're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God. King David, sitting on the throne in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. I'm going to bring you, and you'll never be afraid again. He says a very similar thing to the martyrs of the church in the book of Revelation the sun won't bake their face anymore. They'll never be hungry again. No one will ever lay a hand upon them to hurt them ever again. That's what God says. They're my kids. It's the same way here. I'm going to take care of you. So take hope. Teach your children. God's going to take care of us. Just hold on a little longer. God's going to take care of us. And that's ultimately what he's telling the people. No one shall make him afraid. For I am with you, says the Lord. To what? To save you. I am with you to save you. I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. I'm not here to destroy you. I'm here to save you. <coughs> and that's God's focal point. Our salvation So that's why a tsunami wipes out 100,000 people for God to save people. How can that be? I don't know. How many of them people, while they're caught in that water, sweep them away, called out to God? I have no way of knowing. I guarantee you somebody did who would not have called out to God any other way. And they'll spend eternity with him, not ashamed, not disappointed. Everything God does, he does for that purpose, to save you, to bring you home. Sometimes we think God's purpose in our life is to make life rosy, a bed of roses. Listen, God's purpose in life is to get you home safe. Every time my children leave, I don't care if they had fun I don't care that they, everything they did was right. I care about one thing. Did they get home? After they get home, I think about all that other stuff. But while they're gone, I'm not sitting there going, gosh, I really hope he's having a great time right now. Oh, I don't. The prayer in my heart when he's away, when my son's in California, when my grandbaby's away from me and I can't do nothing to do anything is get him home safe. That's it. Get him home safe. That's God's desire for every one of us to get us home safe, home to His presence, whatever is required to make that happen. I pray God would do it. Though I make a full end of all the nations where I have scattered you, I will not make a complete end of you. But I will correct you in justice, and I will not let you go altogether unpunished. Whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges and god will do what he's got to do to get us on track and thank god because the lord says simply that if a father loves his children he will discipline them promptly if you don't love them you don't discipline them if you do then you will the lord says i i won't let you go unpunished but who takes care of the punishment me you Should we get together a committee and decide, you know, so and so did such and such, what shall we do to them? No, God says, I won't let you go unpunished. When King David sinned and took Bathsheba and then killed her husband and tried to hide it, did the people get together and say, This is what we're going to require of you, King David, because you did this dumb stuff? No, who took care of his punishment? The Lord did. The only thing that was necessary for the people to see was the first thing David did when he was accused. What was that? Repent. That was it. That's always the goal. Because we're all sinners. He repented. That was the only thing required for men. God takes care of the rest. I will not let you go unpunished. The Lord's going to do what he needs to do to correct. And that's what he is doing in this case. For thus says the Lord, now listen to this, it's important that you grasp this, I don't think I'll go much further, let me see. Yeah, I might, we'll see. <laughs> For thus says the Lord, your affliction is incurable and your wound is severe. So the first thing God says to him is, you're so sick and so messed up, you're incurable. Incurable, you have an incurable affliction. That incurable affliction, by the way, is called sin. Then he says And there is no one to plead your cause. That you may be bound up and you have no healing medicines. There's no one to plead your cause. Why is that? Because that's before the cross. Because now we know that Jesus ever lives to do what? Make intercession for us. That he becomes our advocate. Our lawyer. That Satan, which means the accuser, is accusing the brethren before the Lord day and night. And there Jesus sits saying, he's mine. I paid that. I paid that debt. It's paid. Shut up. Go away. The Lord can talk that way to Satan. He's the Lord. He says, your affliction is incurable. Then he goes on in verse 14. All your lovers have forgotten you. All those people that you thought were more important than God, the relationship with God. Remember the children of Israel, they built up all these friends around them. People who thought the same way they did. Uh, Egypt and (laughs) other countries that came alongside <clears throat> to try to help him against King Nebuchadnezzar. But once Nebuchadnezzar took him, nobody thought about Israel again. All your lovers, they've forgotten you. They do not seek you. They don't remember you. You're out of their mind. For I have wounded you with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one, for the multitude of your iniquities, because your sins have increased. So the Lord says, the reason you're where you are is because of your bondage to sin. And I'm going to break that bondage. And this is how I'm going to do it. Sometimes that's what God's working in our life. To break the bondage of sin. For every one of us is in bondage to the same thing. So what's going on in their life? The slavery, misery, anxiety, loss of identity. They're alone in the world. They're forsaken. They're rejected. And they're wondering, is there any place where I belong? And God says, yeah well me I'll show you you belong with me for the multitude of your iniquities their affliction is incurable the heart is deceitfully wicked and none can know it the Lord says your affliction is incurable you're a mess fortunately the chapter doesn't end there he says in verse 15, "Why do you cry about your affliction? Your sorrow is incurable because of the multitude of your iniquities. Because of your sins, I have <coughs> excuse me, because your sins have increased, I have done these things to you. Therefore, all those who devour you will be devoured, and all your adversaries, every one of them will go into captivity. Those who plunder you will become plunder, and all who prey upon you, I will make a prey. Verse 17, for I will restore health to you and heal you of your wounds. Wait a minute, what did he just say? Your afflictions are incurable. And then he says, I'm going to cure you. Well, that doesn't make very much sense, does it? Well, Jesus would say it like this with man, it's impossible. But with God, how many things? All things are possible. All things. God is doing that perfect work in people's lives to bring them to that point of salvation where they can be with Him. The Lord says, I'll take care of all the people who have ever done you wrong. You just leave it to me. Vengeance is mine, said the Lord. I will repay Isn't that what he said? Did he say, you need to worry about it? Nope. Just give it to me, the Lord says. I'll take care of the ones who plundered you. I'll plunder them. Oh, Lord, I I haven't seen it. I need to see it with my eyes. You haven't let go of it, have you? Give it to the Lord. I promise you're not seeing everything that people are going through in their life. You only see what they want you to see. You don't see what happens in the dark. You don't see what happens when regret comes calling You don't see what God's doing in their heart. You don't see none of that. So you let it go. And you let God do that perfect work that God wants to do. For I will restore health and heal you of your wounds. Because they called you an outcast, saying, this is Zion, no one seeks her. I love that God loves the outcast. That's why he went to the woman at the well. That's why he went to Zacchaeus. hate to tell you this, that's why he called all you guys. Because you're outcasts. Because you're ones that are on the outskirts and recognize and realize that they need a Savior and God calls. Same thing is true of his nation. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring back the captivity of Jacob's tents, and I will have mercy on his dwelling places, and the city will be built upon its own mound, and the palace shall remain according to its own plan. And out of them shall proceed thanksgiving and the voice of those who make merry. And I will multiply them and they will not diminish. I will glorify them and they shall not be small. The Lord says, I'm going to restore. I'm going to bring you back. You think now that you're never going to be happy again. I remember Gerald saying that. I remember Gerald preaching. I think it was the first Wednesday after Cindy died. Very first Wednesday. He had been looking ahead, you know, planning for what he's teaching and he was going through ezekiel and the wednesday after cindy died was the chapter in ezekiel where the lord says to ezekiel i'm going to take your wife and you will not mourn for her and that was the message of wednesday after cindy died and he taught it i remember when she died it was a saturday wasn't it babe friday So Sunday was coming up, and I sat down with Gerald. I says, Hey, if you need some time, whatever time you need, you know, we got you covered. You don't have to worry about if you need to take some time away. He says, Nope. God doesn't call us to service only when things are happy and when things are going good. He never missed a day. Not a Sunday. He had Cindy preach at her own funeral. He played one of the messages she had taught that had been on video about finishing a race. And then he did the rest of it. Why do you do all that? The Lord gives you the strength. I remember him saying, I I think I'm never going to stop crying. I'm afraid when I start crying, I'm never going to stop. He's not crying now. The Lord says, I will turn your sorrow to joy. Oh, there's no way this sorrow will ever end. Yeah, there is. It'll end. If no other time than when you see Jesus face to face, you're not going to be sorry no more. There will be no more tears. That'll be the end. And that's what the Lord is promising them. He says their children Shall be as before, and their congregation will be established before me, and I will punish everyone who oppressed them. Matthew chapter 25, the judgment of the nations. When you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. Who's he talking about? In the context of Matthew chapter 25, he is talking about Israel, his brethren. When you did it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. When you did it not, To the least of these, my brethren, you didn't do it for me. The Lord says, I will punish those who oppress you. Their nobles shall be from among them. Their governors shall come from their midst. And I will cause him to draw near, and he shall approach me. For who is this who pledged his heart to approach me, says the Lord? You shall be my people, and I will be your God. I love that. I'm going to tell you why I love it. I love it because that's still true for Israel today. And if that's still true for Israel today, then God's going to hold on to me. I can trust that the Lord can hold on to me. Remember I said God's sovereign? He is able. He is able to hold on to me. A lot of people worry about their salvation. Oh my gosh, I mess up all the time. I'm going to lose my salvation. God is able to keep you just like he kept them he never reached a point where he said forget it you're not my people no more get out he thought about it a couple times he didn't do it he said you'll be my people and i'll be your god behold the whirlwind of the lord goes forth with fury a continuing whirlwind and it will fall violently on the head of the wicked the fierce anger of the Lord will not return until he has done it, until he has performed the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you will consider it. Isn't that interesting? The Lord says, I'm going to make keep every promise I gave. And the whirlwind of the Lord is going to come down on the head of the wicked violently. I'm going to take care of it. And then. At the end, he says, in the last days, you're going to consider it. That's the days we're in now. That's what Jesus tells us. That's what the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us. We're in the last days. In the last days, you'll consider it. God says, I'm going to keep every promise. I'm going to take care of Israel. I'm going to save you. I'm going to reach out a light to the Gentiles. I'm going to send out the call to whosoever will. And I know how to deliver the righteous from judgment and the wicked to judgment. In the last days, you'll consider it. So the Lord lays it out. The good, the plan for the unbelieving... The plan for the believing. With God we have hope. Without Him, man, despair. With Him, He says, the hope that we have is His appearing. That's our hope. Not that my bank account will be full. Not that all my problems will cease. My hope is His appearing I look forward to that day. That'll be a good day, amen. Want you join me in prayer. <clears throat> we'll set aside some time like we do on Sunday nights. <laughs> the Lord, lay something on your heart. Bring it before the Lord in prayer. The spirit moves, let the spirit move. Don't be afraid, God gives you an utterance, bring the utterance. The Lord moves upon you with a tongue. Bring the tongue. If God has an interpreter here, they'll bring the interpretation. If not, we'll be silent in the church. But as we come before Him, we want to give opportunity for God to move the way God calls His people to move, the way God wants us to move. So we'll just sit at His feet and spend some time in prayer. Bring that prayer, bring that thing that the Lord has on your heart, a verse that God might have for you to share. Share it. Don't be afraid. We're all God's kids here. We don't have to fear any gift that he gives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for an opportunity to come before you. (laughs) Lord, we thank you that, God, we are your people. And you are our King. One day our king will sit on the throne. Father, here in this place, we're in enemy territory and life can get to be a drag. But we always have the hope. Right around the corner, we're going to see you. (coughs) You call me to be faithful in the little things. So make me faithful, God, that I'll do the things you called me to do and not lose heart. Help me to call upon your name to come before you in prayer. God, I thank you that I know Jeannie is stoked today. That her race is done. She sees you face to face. And there are others, God, that I know are on that same road and in times of difficulty and people whose hearts are hurting. But the same promise abounds to them as well your hope is my appearing Lord God I just I just thank you thank you for the time you gave me with Jeannie I thank you for the encouragement she is to me I pray God that you help me (coughs) wanna shine a light like she wanted to shine a light I pray, Lord Jesus, that my commitment to you would just abound. Lord, I pray, God, that there are hurting people all around us that we can reach out to and love on. And we wouldn't lose a single moment. But we'd relish everyone. For every breath is a gift. God, I thank you and I praise you. I pray that you would do a continuing work of of healing in Anna Lures as she battles cancer. I pray that you would encourage her heart. I pray that you would (coughs) just quiet her fears. I pray that you would give her strength. I pray, God, that you would strengthen your body here, that we would love people here, that we would care for people here. That we would not be about pointing our fingers at others, but finding a way to include others. God, that we would replicate the love of Christ in everything we do. And that you would be glorified and magnified in it.